literary blood form. So many, so many, so many. Welcome to So Many Damn Books Tournament of Books Edition. Here we are in the damn library. Yes, in Brooklyn, and uh, And, uh, John was not lying. (laughs) So when Station Eleven beat Brief History of Seven Killings, I was really pleased. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that came up in the commentary that I thought was very interesting is the realization that it's not a post-apocalyptic book. It's a book where all of these other things happen sort of on the backdrop of, which... I think it's a really good way to describe it. It is, it is, it's literary fiction and it's complicated literary fiction. It just, you know, brief yeah. history is the most complicated book of the tournament. I would say in terms of just sheer complexity. Yes. And I was really pleased that the judge mentioned that the over complexity was a knock against it because I agree. You said something, I forget exactly what it was, but you, because you and I have disagreed about brief history but you just you you sort of boiled it down to that thing of like, yeah, sometimes something that is so complex, it gets too complex. Like it, it could just be a very complex, smaller thing, and that's okay, and that would have been better. Right. I would love to read the edited version of Brief History of Seven Killing in the way that I mentioned this in a comment um to someone else. Steven Soderbergh does those edits mm-hmm. of, um, of films where he cuts them down to like 90 minutes or just loses an hour of things. And I think that's really interesting. And I, and I, and I think that this book could have done with a, a, a more heavy hand. Um, but what do I know? I, I mean, there, there was a lot of dissent in the comments on Friday that said that, you know, it's an, it's an amazing book and, and all the parts worked for them. Yeah, I'm going to be... I would have loved to have seen this book go up against Station Eleven in the final I think the other really big upset from last week was um, those who leave and those who stay versus redeployment. Yeah. Which... I think that's the upset of the tournament, actually. Yeah. I I thought that the judge had some really interesting things to say about war and war fiction be, um, before he started uh, getting into why he chose um, those who leave and those who stay. It was funny. I noticed that there was a, a section, a subset of the, the TOB irregulars who, who took umbrage with the judge's decision to, to talk so broadly, not only about war fiction, but about war and like about U.S. policy and sort of that sort of justifying why he couldn't advance redeployment no matter how good it was. It wasn't just like, I'm not going to move forward a book about war. Right. Right, 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 right. He had very specific objections, and, and they all made sense. I mean, it's, it's a complicated thing to address right now, especially if you have anybody who you know or who you are close to who has, has been involved in combat in the last 10 years. Right. I, you know, it's, it's a very tough thing to be able to talk about. And ultimately, I, I felt very similarly in that I wished... It, I, it had been a, be- a better book um, to deal with these things because it really just felt like a presentation and, and a, with a bit of a lack of a viewpoint. Um, for, for, for me reading it, even though I, I did find some of the stories very visceral and, and very well written, 
um, I, I, I think that might be because it's, it's short stories. Yeah, I, you said that to me after we had both read it. And at the time, I was like, no, you're wrong. This book, like, it's super important. It's our the things they carried. But I actually, I think the idea of having a novel, if Phil had written a novel, I think it could have truly surpassed um, uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, which right. at this point is, I think, our the best. I would put redeployment up there with it, but it's the best novel about the war, certainly. Definitely. And... And I think that they're all, he almost might be saying something by it not being a novel and that he couldn't process the war as a novel. He could only process it as these short stabs at trying to understand what everybody else was thinking around him. Yeah. And even, you know, I think that that is interesting, um, but it didn't make for a complete great winning at the tournament type of book. Right. I will say that judgment was sort of the final straw. That judgment happened, and I went out at my lunch break that day and picked up uh, My Brilliant Friend, the first book of the Ferrante trilogy. Right. And I'm really excited to read that, too. I'm sure we'll do a Nosgard versus Ferrante. Nosgard versus Ferrante. I mean, it's just, it's perfect. For, Stay tuned. Uh, yeah. Speaking of staying tuned, uh, yeah. shall we Shall we go to our guest, another Tournament of Books contender? Now, yes. A, a now fallen contender? Yeah, uh, of course, podcast favorite jeff vandermeer um we're really excited to have him on the show so why don't we uh why don't we go to him hello hello jeff yeah hey Hey, jeff it's drew and christopher hey how are you i personally am still um I'm excited that Annihilation got as far as it did, but also sad that it isn't going any farther. Yeah. Um, but we were kind of curious. It seems like the general consensus for um, by, like, John Warner and everybody in the community that, like, the, the comments section of the Tournament of Books is a good place to be and an interesting thing to read as an author. Um, but, you know, I'm actually kind of curious what you think of as someone who has now been through it, um, reading two comment um, sections full of stuff about you. Well, the whole thing is kind of, um, the whole tournament is like harrowing, like not even the part I was in, obviously, just just some of these matchups. Um, because, I mean, I have to be honest, at a lower level, I've been kind of against tournaments that pit folks against one another because there's usually not really a good way you can judge <laughs> one one good book against another unless they're so similar as some of these doppelgangers. Um, you know, because inevitably, even if something has a, a similar plot, the style is so different, and that to me makes a huge difference as well. Um, but uh, but I think the comment sections were kind of hit or miss for me. Whenever the comment sections were commenting on the actual books and like analyzing the actual books, I thought it was good. And then when people were starting to talk about categories and kind of beginning to get a little tribal and what they were defending or not defending, that was kind of uninteresting. On the first round with Annihilation, um, like one guy made a comment about, uh, or actually the second round uh, against uh, the Roxane Gay uh, book, uh, he, he made some comment about uh, violence in both books that I thought was really insightful, and I would have liked to have seen that uh, been a discussion about the two books. Um, then when it started to be about, like, what science fiction is, my eyes kind of glazed over. Um, <laughs> it's, well, in part because it's, 
as a category, it's also a miscategorization. Like people then just started listing science fiction authors, and you know, I, I I'm so conflicted about this because I've always kind of had one foot in each camp, and um, you know, to me, a widely read reader is somebody who reads in, in, in all over the place, and 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 a book that's set in the future, you know, you, you shouldn't be. <laughs> trying to categorize some as one thing and some as another just because you think something is, you know, maybe slightly better written at the paragraph level, I don't know. Um, so, so a lot of that discussion was, was just kind of like, you know, you know, just kind of put me to sleep. But, but you know, when, when it was on point and when people were being very passionate and specific about uh, the books that they loved, I thought that was great. Um, I, I certainly don't regret being in, in the tournament. Um, I just... Uh, you know, just a little bit of a cringes at the whole whole genre mainstream discussion and some of the assumptions made by both sides. Yeah, and actually, it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, of uh, MFA grad school. Like, you're just sort of sitting there as people are talking about the wrong thing <laughs> for your right. story. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of I kind of can see that um, as far as like almost almost like workshop, just people not understanding what you were trying to do. And and therefore everything that they're saying is useless. Well, I mean it's tough for me too because I mean these these books. I mean the way I've written them, they are meant to kind of be open to interpretation and to allow you to bring your own imagination into it. So I can hardly complain when there's multiple, you know, uh, kind of like interpretations of what it, what they are. Uh, but you know then then there's also the personal angle in that you know that. There's, there's not a single detail, as I said in other interviews, of, of the natural settings of these books. It's secondhand. It's all stuff I've lived. And uh, so to me, these are, these are you know, deeply ecological books, deeply environmental books, uh, not in a didactic way, but, but you know, they, they, they have an autobiography to them that when someone tends to me science fiction, sometimes I don't even know they're talking about my book because that's not the first thing I think of. Right. Um, it's not because I'm trying to avoid any kind of label one way or the other, but, you know, it's not really how I see them necessarily. No, and I actually think that the the, the couple of stories you've told in, in in various places about the details from your real life that you've taken and put in into the that you took and put into the book are things that I were thinking I thought grounded it away from, you know, I don't know. I guess the term might be straight up sci-fi. Well, I mean, you know, the the, the there was that New York article about uh, weird fiction, and and you know more and more I kind of gravitate to that title just because, for one thing, it's harder to commodify weird fiction. It's harder to kind of like make it a commercial category, which means it's, it's easier to talk about more interesting and complex things using it. Uh, but also, you know, when I thought of, think of the authors that influence the series like Kafka and people like that, they definitely are not realists. They're definitely weird writers. They're definitely Sometimes writing science fiction, sometimes writing fantasy, or whatever. But they're not. They're not. They're also not writing in a, in what I would call what we usually think of when we think of science fiction is kind of a traditional commercial American tradition that started in the pulp in the 20s and 30s. But there's tons of stuff that's written about the future or is a fantastical. It doesn't actually come out of that tradition at all. Um, and so you know that that that's also why it seems kind of limiting sometimes. Definitely. But originally, the shortlist for the tournament had the the omnibus, the Area X yeah. collected hardcover. And we were wondering, do you, do you have any thoughts one way or another about whether or not considering the entire trilogy versus considering just Annihilation might have skewed things differently in the tournament? 
No, that's a really good question. And I was actually excited when I saw the whole thing was going to be discussed at first. Um, and, and that's in part because Annihilation is specifically meant to change after you've read the other two books. Like, if you read the other two books and come back to Annihilation, it's a very different experience. And um, so, so there's a lot of things going on in Annihilation that don't really necessarily make full sense until you've read the other two books. Right. Um, and, and also the, the fact that there are there is a, a minority that thinks there's not a whole lot of characterization going on in Annihilation, <laughs> um, even though if you read the whole trilogy, you begin to understand how this stuff gets fleshed out. Um, so, yeah, so I was kind of disappointed by that. At the same time, I understand the reasoning, um, because in, in a way it's an unfair advantage. They had the Ferrante, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but her book um, was the third in the trilogy, you know, so, you know, they had to make all kinds of decisions, or at least a couple of decisions like that. But it would have been interesting to see uh, the judges engage with the in, entire entire trilogy. And, and I can't, com- can't complain because, you know, FSG decided to do this kind of special publishing schedule where you put out the paperback first and, and they're separate. So, you know, that's, that's one of the, the purposes of doing it that way, I guess, is that you have issues with, you know, what gets discussed and what doesn't. Would you have wanted to publish it as the the collected trilogy first, and then maybe broken it out? How do you look at look at the trilogy? Do you look at it as three books, or do you look at it as one that was broken up into sort of three sections? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I really do see it as. I mean, it's it's really pretty much like my last uh, quote unquote trilogy, the Ambergris Cycle, uh, which are three books that, in, in their case, take place over maybe five hundred years, but. And, and are very different, but they have a central storyline that gets completed, and then you know all kinds of other things going on. They're, they're kind of that in a compressed, more compressed area. Um, I, I I I kind of do see them as, as as separate. If I have to have to make the decision, the, the, the choice between those two ways of looking at them. I mean, I really did like the idea of readers following this journey where they had only one piece of the story, then they had another piece of the story. Um, but, you know, the thing is that the character arcs are complete, as far as I'm concerned, in all three books. Um, yeah, the biologist does re- reappear in the third book, but that's kind of like a coda or kind of like a, you know, a, uh, not, you know, it's like a after, uh, an epilogue in a way. Um, and, and so if you look at it that way, they're definitely, you know, three separate, complete novels to some extent. But, um, right. But yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I was sort of curious about, I mean, we, we mentioned it, but the, your Atlantic um, monthly article about writing, writing the trilogy was just fascinating and a piece of sort of, you made it, you know, as interesting and as strange as the novels themselves. Um, and uh, there was this moment that really stuck out for me in it. Um, the, that's, that little story that you told about the barista gradually adding espresso to your coffee yeah. Yeah, I was sort of curious, is there more to that? I mean, I just feel like, did you, how did you respond to that? <laughs> I stopped going to that coffee shop, um, <laughs> one thing, because I didn't really know how to respond to it. I mean, if you, if you can imagine being in the middle of this maelstrom where, you know, at the, at the, at, you know, in one sense you have pretty strict deadline, on the other, you can, you're free to just, you know, eat, breathe, and sleep this novel, you know, 24-7, to be confronted by something like that when you're kind of in a dream state, I didn't really have a reaction at the time. 
And then afterwards, I thought it, I overthought it. You know, I was like, is this person evil and psychotic? <laughs> or did they just think they were doing me a favor? Or were they just bored? <laughs> or what the deal was? But I, I, I resolved that I couldn't really go back because I didn't really know what to say and I didn't really know what the motivations were. I really think this person was just bored and probably wasn't doing this to a lot of people, but, but it was really, really weird. <laughs> no, I just, yeah, I, I think I, I latched onto it because I was so, like, wow, he got drugged at his coffee shop? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was getting more and more manic. I was thinking, God, I'm really, like, under this pressure. I must really be, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing very well. I'm, I'm very nervous all the time. <laughs> so I was kind of relieved find out that, that I was basically being poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, it's not often that you feel relief at being poisoned. Yeah, really. yeah at least I know what's going on. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, it's, you said something about feeling like you were in a dream state as you were working on these books. And uh, for those out there who are listening who don't know, I know that the initial idea for this story came out of a dream and in that Atlantic article, you sort of mentioned these other ways in which your life uh, sort of melded with the novels, like breaking into your own house and these things. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about the way that, you know, that Area X colonized your own, your brain and your life, and if you've managed to get out of it yet. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it was most apparent, I guess, on the second novel, Authority, because there's just certain novels. This happened on the last uh, series of novels, too. There was a novel called shriek and afterward, and, and I actually worked on that one for eight years, but, you know, any random thing could come into that novel because of the kind of novel it was. With authorities, it was the same thing. You know, I, I tell the anecdote about how there was a mosquito squash on the inside of my windshield. I couldn't figure out how it had gotten there because I didn't remember squashing it, even, even though I'm sure I reflexively did so, um, and how that incident got into the novel. And, um, you know, there's some novels where I'm working, you're working on where you can't just take any random thing that happens to you and, and make it. But, but in part, I think it's because I was kind of method acting. I was kind of getting inside the head of the main character and kind of just remaining there. Um, and so I did break into my own house um, just because uh, I don't live so on the edge that I was willing to break into someone else's house <laughs> to get the, the information I needed to write the thing. <laughs> Not even for the art of fiction. <laughs> No, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I try to tread a cautious line between um, things that are inventive and things that are batshit crazy. Um, <laughs> well, I was sort of, um, I've been sort of curious just as you, you've made a couple of um, form and process books, um, like a, a Wonder, Wonder Book. Oh, I guess just like being being an editor of these major collections too, you know, the yeah. new weird and these ones that sort of show show how how to write this sort of story. And so my question kind of is, uh, do you do you do you feel like you can get a little bit lost in form and forget about what you were writing sometimes, like just because you've you've thought about it so didactically? Um, I think that the the Wonder Book and well, Book Life is more about the writing life, but the Wonder Book is pretty much uh, exemplifies what I think about writing, which is that it has to be a combination of discipline and letting your subconscious kind of fill out whatever it's going to fill out. And so it's not so much that um, I think about form, it's that just like the surrealists, sometimes they would take an uneven canvas and they would do paint on it and, and, and then it forms would kind of appear. 
I feel like the rough draft is a little bit like that. You, you let whatever's going to appear appear, and then you give it. You, you look for what the, the structure is that makes sense. And um, sometimes you don't want a really tight structure. <laughs> sometimes that is going to be, you know, really detrimental. Um, but sometimes it could be really useful. I mean, with authority, I was really thinking, of, you know, okay, I'm setting it over a certain number of days. I know I have these particular scenes probably. Um, and then I'm going to just let the actors, so to speak, you know, knowing their motivation, kind of like do improv in the scene. So the, the, the real challenge for me personally, and of course every writer is a little different how they put structure, is how much form and structure do you give something as you're working on it to give yourself the constraints that you need to make something that isn't just a formless pile or whatever, but <laughs> also gives you enough freedom and to be to, to be inspired um, right and so that's really what that, that is and, and any number of times i've been i've a form or a structure a way of telling a story if it doesn't seem like it's working so it's really kind of like the scaffolding that you have in, in place there to, to, to you know because you think you're doing one kind of a thing and and obviously if you wind up doing something else then you change the scaffolding right how do you or do you have any suggestions for how to let oneself sort of just embrace the weird and and change the scaffolding if you need to, or like let these things spill out without your brain sort of getting in the way and saying, that doesn't make any sense. All right, is it just red wine? Uh, yeah, so I don't usually recommend alcohol when you're writing. But I've never really had to before work in the evening. Either, so that was kind of a way of loosening up. Um, but the, uh, the, the question about the... Every writer's different. I mean, every writer's trying to access something a little different. Um, and every writer needs less or more structure. So, you know, one thing about Wonderful is it's not trying to say you must do this or that. It's trying to give you a series of options that you then kind of put together yourself. Um, I think one thing is, though, that a lot of writers, sometimes they will gravitate towards the first couple of things they try that allow them to complete a story. And they may not experiment enough even with their process to get to the point where maybe it's easier for them to access their subconscious or to spill stuff out on the page. Um, you know, I, I do think that in the modern era, too, you have a lot of fragmentation. Um, I see too many writers who I really feel like their writing sessions must just basically be 20 minutes, check Facebook, 20 minutes, check Twitter, and you really can't get anywhere particularly deep if you, if you keep doing that. Um, so, so, you know... <laughs> Seems a little basic, but one of the one of the things is that un, un, uninterrupted time in an environment where where you eventually learn not to, to edit yourself too too early. Mm. Uh, but you know, I, I, it's, it's it's one of those things where I don't like to say there's some specific magical way. It really is separate for every every person, and when we do workshops and stuff, that's really a question that we deal with as a one-on-one -on -one after asking a lot of questions of the writer himself. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's something to that. It means, it means that I think everybody's process being a little bit different and a little bit theirs is what, how we get, you know, the panoply of books that we uh, get to read. Um, well, I mean, that's the other thing is um, even words like structure, form, plot, you know, we think they have a set definition, but if you actually were to interrogate every, every writer out there and ask them to write down what is plot or write down what is structure, you find a lot of overlap between those terms and you find people 
you know, giving a definition of plot that a lot of other people would think of with regard to structure or so on and so forth. And so that's why I'm also leery of pinning something down until I'm actually talking to a particular writer. That sounds like a, a collection you should edit. <laughs> what is plot? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you, uh, would you want to be included in the tournament again? Yeah, I would. Um, but, you know, I, I do have to say that uh, I, I think it's really important that uh, the main commentators, too, uh, don't focus quite so much on, on the genre or something. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really find their little analysis of the genre versus mainstream that interesting either. Um, well, you, you mentioned know, um, that, you, that you would want to be... Uh, a judge or a commentator someday. Um, yeah, and I was specifically asked to not be a judge of any uh, contest that was specifically genre either, because I don't like getting typecast. Um, but but I would definitely like to be a judge, and I'd like, like to be a judge because there were a couple of, uh, and not the ones that, that I was involved with, there were a couple of, uh, of decisions where I felt like there could have been a little more analysis on the judge's part, and, and, um, and uh, you know, I, I think that uh, no, I, I would just like, I would really like to be a judge if possible, but, um, but yeah. I also don't know what kind of, um, <laughs> what kind of feedback the judge should have get after their decisions are rendered <laughs> right. from various readers and everything outside of the actual, you know, comments field. Well, we, when people come on our show, we always ask for a, um, a recommendation, um, for, for the people listening. Uh, is there something you, you've read recently or that you'd really like to... Um, recommend to our listeners? Yeah. Um, there are actually a, a couple of things. Great. Uh, well, actually, I, I think probably the... Well, there's Ricky, Ricky Ducournay had a collection of essays out earlier this year that I think was unfairly kind of overlooked. I think it was from Coffee House Press. Um, and I think that something deep was the title. I can't remember the title. And then the second one is one that I think everybody knows, but... I was kind of shocked it wasn't in the tournament. I was shocked it didn't appear on the pen list of first novels, uh, Fourth of July Creek by Smith Henderson. I love which, that book. Which I think is not just a good first novel, but would be a good fifth or sixth or tenth novel for just about anybody. Right. Um, and so I was really shocked to see, even though it's gotten you know, good critical attention, I really thought it was going to be uh, more up for awards so far. What about that, that book uh, caught you? Um, well, it's a it's a combination of uh, the characterization. I mean, he's not afraid to do unsympathetic characters or very conflicted, morally ambiguous characters, which is something that I think is really important, especially as we get so polarized politically that we seem sometimes to be very judgmental uh, of characters. And then also uh, the use of language. Um, I've seen some people compare him to Cormac McCarthy and indicate he's kind of imitating Cormac McCarthy. I didn't find that at all. I think he's de- he developed a very uh, style that I found unique and, and, and a way of expressing himself that was, was really just genuinely refreshing and also helps the book a lot because it, it, it can be a very dark book. It can be a very pessimistic book in some ways. And so that use of language actually adds that bit of I don't know if you call it color or what you call it, but it, 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 it counterbalances to some extent uh, the pessimism while not undermining it. Um, and it's just, it's just a great book all the way around. It's a very wise book, I think, too. I'd agree. I really loved it, too. Um, I, I've been kind of recommending it to people where if um, I say, if you really liked Breaking Bad, this is your novel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. 
but yeah, there's there's places, there's paragraphs that I just reread for the pleasure of, of the way he was saying something. Cool. Well, with the two of you recommending it now, I guess that's probably going to have to be the next thing that I go read. All right. Well, listen, Jeff, thanks uh, so much for coming on and for writing this absolutely incredible trilogy. Definitely. Um, we uh, loved it. Oh, thank yeah. You. Thanks for having me on. Good luck with everything you're working on now, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again, Jeff Vandermeer, for coming on the show. We really appreciate uh, hearing your viewpoint and, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to read another thing from him, whatever it might be. Yeah. If you, if you liked the area X trilogy, Jeff's back catalog is, is super weird and super cool and gigantic. He's got a lot of books. Yeah. It's we have some, we have two more lovely days, two more tomorrow. I think a real wild card cause the judge Stephen Merritt of the magnetic fields, uh, he's one of those that uh, you just can't. Uh, so, so, so what do you think? If you were judging tomorrow. Well, if I was judging tomorrow, I would advance all the light we cannot see. Um, I would too. But only because I haven't read An Untamed State. <laughs> oh, right. That was mean of me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I just haven't read it. I don't doubt that it's you know, really worthy of being read, and it's just not my type of book. I'm sad that out of 16 books, I chose one of the books that um, is making it this far as one that I won't read. Yeah. I mean, that was part of the only reason that I ended up reading it. It's just because I was wagering that... And I will say this. The book... I have never read another book that deals with, with sexual violence and rape as well as this one does. And and you cannot walk away from this. You are, you are changed by reading this book. You sit there and it's like, whoa. Oh, like, okay. If you had any, I don't, you just, you can't read this book and not feel viscerally affected afterwards. That having been said, and I didn't really love All the Light, but I would advance All the Light as well. Because I think that the the issues of An Untamed State don't match up to the way that it's written. I just, it, I, it, I didn't find it to be enjoyably written, mm-hmm. despite how potent and powerful certain sections were. Um, and all the light at the end of the day, those, those sentences are like little tiny gemstones. They really are. And, and, and I really was moved by all the light we cannot see. And, and there are some images that are sticking with me in a way that I didn't think they would. Hmm. Because... I wasn't ambivalent about it when I was reading it. I thought it was really good, but it never moved into that loving the whole experience type of reading that something like station 11 did. Sure. So I feel like if it does go up, go up and win against the untaped state tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, then it's going to be interesting to see station 11 versus all the light, because I think it'll be almost sort of a landslide for station 11. Do you really? Yeah. I was going to say exactly the opposite. I think, well, not exactly the opposite. I think it's going to be one of those, um, one of those nine eight things. Mm. It's going to be Goon Squad versus Freedom. Right. Well, Wolf Hall versus whatever that other book was that I didn't read. Right. Well, we uh, 
We'll have to see. We'll see. Yeah. And then um, we'll have a we'll have a little recap for you coming later in the week after. Yeah. Um, We're gonna check in with the other uh, man in the booth, Kevin uh, Gilfoyle. The uh, the commissioner, I believe his technical title is. Good. Yeah, um, that's a, I like having a title for. And uh, we'll let you know if w- those of you who aren't in New York, we'll let you know if anything crazy happens on Tuesday night's uh, rap party. Right. Right. Yeah, we'll we'll do a little bit of recap of that as well. Yeah, hopefully no sriracha shots this year. We uh we will uh talk to you soon next week. Yeah, uh, less than a week. Soon. Yep. So soon. Mm-hmm. Like the cat, the big cat looking at the little scrawny dog, the meme. Soon. That one? No. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Never mind. My humor is no lost. Idea what you're saying. This is a podcast. You can't see it anyway. Never mind. Oh my gosh.